welcome to Circle's HR Futures podcast. Uh, I'm Kevin Green. I'm the host for this podcast and I chair uh, Circle's HR Advisory Board. With me today is Daniel Kazmir, who is the Chief People and Procurement Officer at TalkTalk. Today's podcast is brought to you by Kaplan, partnering with you to deliver your specific organisational development needs and enhance the performance of your people and organisation. Daniel. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah, when I when I joined when I joined Talk Talk, I came here initially as a sort of as the chief people officer. So you know we're an organisation, couple of thousand people. We put broadband into um, customers, consumer, and business premises, and we sort of we do that. So we've actually got a product that's actually been quite in demand during these sort of these tough times, which has been good. <laughs> And then I think you, you asked me about the procurement thing. Um, after been about six months, I uh, was was chatting to the chief exec, and I said, actually, you know, I've got a lot to do in terms of sort of shaping people and sort of figuring out sort of you know the best ways that we sort of you know we spend our money as an organisation in terms of people. And it actually, just seemed to be a sort of a natural alignment in terms of how we should spend our money in terms of how we deal with sort of with third parties in terms of contracts, suppliers, which is. A really quite a significant amount of sort of the money that sort of the talk talk spends so actually she, she, she thought it was a good idea and she thought okay all right give it give, give you a go and we've been doing some organization changes we've moved stuff from london to sort of to salford and this that and the other and so i sort of you know so i got stuck in and actually it's really good fun and actually if anybody's out there thinking about how to shape structure organizations i think yeah. procurement and people people functions actually there's quite a good alignment. I think particularly in these days where sort of, you know, where people functions have got to be sort of, you know, more commercial. I think actually, you know, having that sort of that commercial dynamic and part of the role, I, I think is actually sort of quite good at keeping you on your toes. Okay. I enjoy it. And, and you said sort of 2000 people, where are they? And, you know, give us a bit of an idea about um, the type <coughs> of skills and capabilities. I think I've got a pretty good idea. And where they are geo- geography from a, you know, are they just UK centric or is it, do you operate outside of the UK? So I'm, I'm talking to you from um, the Soapworks, which is um, our head office, which is in Salford, um, which is in the district of Manchester. Yes. Um, <clears throat> that's where the sort of the lion's share of our people are based. We're a sort of, we're a UK focused business. We've got some overseas um, facilities in terms of we have some third parties running, helping us with customer services in Manila and in Durban. And then we've got some offshore programming stuff that happens in um, India for sort of for various parts of technology. Ostensibly, the lion's share of our staff are actually sort of based in sort of in the UK. Most of them are based in Salford. Um, we've got a a range we've got um, a consumer business which is delivering our product into consumer houses if you've got talk talk in your house this is this is the place where it gets sort of delivered from we've got a business to business part of our organization which sort of you know which does the same but into sort of into businesses and then we've got sort of you know quite a big technical function here technology function yeah. which is you know about keeping the network on and um, yeah delivering reliable internet into people's houses so I'm going to take you right back to the beginning of your career now. I'm sure we're going to go through some, you know, your, your sort of career narrative. But how did you first get into to, to the sort of HR? I'm always interested in people. How do they end up in HR? I mean, there's a few people that have made a conscious decision at university or something or had a parent that did it and, and made a decision early in their career. Others seem to find it by accident rather than design. But tell us about your journey into HR. 
I, I am an example of a graduate recruitment process that sort of worked really well. I was had no intention of going and working in HR. I was going through the sort of the milk round when I was at sort of university and I came across um, Shell's graduate scheme and um, I, I sort of I, I applied and I got sort of got invited in and got it got invited to go and have the going to have lunch with the sort of the uh, chairman of Shell Transport and Trading Company on the top floor of Shell Centre in London and I was reading um, Economics and International Relations and they did this the most amazing presentation of Shell's strategic scenarios where the oil and gas was going to come from 25 30 years time and this was just like, oh my god this is amazing and then they sort of they you know got you know HR thing organizations people cultures it was just absolutely just amazing so I you know thought blimey I want to work there so I went through all the assessment centers and stuff and they offered me a job and then they um my first job was to go actually to come to Manchester to work in a sort of a chemical manufacturing plant sort of you know worrying about sort of vacation students holidays and god knows what so from sort of thinking I was going to be worrying about where the oil and gas was coming from I sort of you know I had a rude awakening and had my sort of my uh, initiation into HR and a sort of back office personnel function in a chemical manufacturing plant which did mean no end of good. No absolutely I'm sure of it. Um, so again, one of the things I've looked at when I was looking at your CV and stuff, I mean, you've been in a range of different organisations, both in long-term roles, but also in doing sort of interim gigs. So tell me a bit about your perception of the difference from, you know, HR, the difference that HR plays in different types of organisation. Because, you know, there are some people that think HR is just a standard playbook, you know, it's about best practice, you do the same stuff. There are others, perhaps like me, and I suspect you, that think it's all about context. It's about bringing a set of tools to a particular organizational business problem and being able to design the right solution. So tell us a bit about your, you know, your perception of different organizations and where HR's position within them. Go yeah, back to sort of, to, you know, my career in Shell, I worked for six, seven years in Shell. It was, it was brilliant. I had a fantastic time. They let me do all sorts of stuff. And then I don't know, I think I looked at it and thought, crikey, if I, if I stay here, I can stay here and have a fantastic career, but I'll, I'll be here the next 30 years. And yeah. I thought, thought, oh God, I, I'm going to get a bit institutionalized. And I, this was in the sort of the heady days of sort of mobile phones and um, mobile phone sort of entrepreneurs sort of came along and said, actually, why don't you come and work for us? And this was a sort of a you know, small startup company, less than a thousand people. And it was just, you know, it was just, I mean, HR and Shell was sort of was, uh, you know, a very sophisticated, you know, thinking about strategy, where's it all going to happen, this, that and the other. This was like, you know, um, being on a jet ski in a hurricane literally every day. And it was about, you know, it was a sales organization. It was boom, 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 boom. So then come from sort of two, two total sort of extremes that the super tanker that was taking sort of you know five miles to sort of to change course and then you were on this blooming jet ski just you know long-term strategy was if you got to coffee in the morning without having to sort of to change your pricing and it was just in, and and i think that you know from then i sort of realized actually you know hr really does have the opportunity to span the whole sort of the whole gamut from sort of you know from very tactical let's you know use our people to sort of to figure out sort of you know how we drive revenue to you know on the other side yeah let's make sure we've got an organization that can navigate and can you know just do something on a sort of on a slightly longer term basis and then i think that what i've been lucky and i've enjoyed in my career is actually working in a variety of organizations that have sort of have wanted to do those things in sort of in in, in different ways 
I think in sort of in in the last five years, I had a sort of you know reasonably sort of you know interesting HR career. I worked in sort of in lots of different industries for some really great people and had some brilliant you did, adventures. You did six or seven years at Manpower as well, didn't you? Business yeah. Manpower was brilliant. So I, I, I sort of did my stint in the sort of in the mobile phone industry. And after sort of three years, I think it felt like probably sort of like 25 years in sort of other places. Uh, Manpower came along, which was a staffing company. And they, uh, I went there as the, sort of the HR director for sort of for the UK. And um, it's funny, my first experience there was, remember, it was February 2000s, the Millennium Dome was there and we were one of the big sponsors and by default I became the sort of the HR person responsible for the Millennium Dome and that's the whole you could do a whole podcast on that in itself but um, it was a lot of fun and you know being the sort of being the HR person in an HR company was a total adventure because you know I had all these people who were our regular employees to worry about and then I had our sort of you know our temporary staff to worry about it was great and then they let me loose on being this of the HR director for Europe Middle East Africa which was just amazing. I, you know, spent all my time sort of, you know, traveling crazy different cultures. It was just, it was, it was wild, brilliant, brilliant adventure. And they let me, let me do some corporate affairs as well. So the corporate affairs stuff was all to do with so the like legislation. Like David Arkless and people like that. David yeah, yeah, no, we, we worked closely with each other. Yeah, no, we did. Right, we did, right, knew each other well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I suppose, you know, the question is, is all those experiences, and I know you spent some time in private equity as well, helping yeah. them look at their portfolio yeah. companies. So, you know, what does great HR look like then? So if you were, you know, you're coming into a new organisation and you're making a judgment of it, you know, it's okay, it's doing fine, it looks a bit on the poor side or it's absolutely brilliant. What differentiates great HR functions from okay HR functions? Well, I think you've got to really, really, really step out of the sort of of what's important for the sort of the HR function and very, very, very quick determine what's important for the business. And then you sort of you use that to sort of to shape your HR agenda. There's nothing worse than sort of someone jumping into a business or coming into an HR job and they've read the sort of the HR playbook. If you've got to do this in terms of having your performance management in place and this in terms of your recruitment and this, that and the other, that's a recipe for disaster. You've got to spend some time synthesizing, understanding what is the, what are the, what are the really important things for the business. And that's usually got to do with sort of something to do with customers because they're sort of quite important. It's usually got something to do with costs because that's the other bit that's quite important and then you know take a deep breath and then assess and determine what the HR agenda should be around those sort of maxims if you don't do that then I think you're just in a, in a it, it, it's it's very difficult to establish yourself with credibility across your business yeah um so a bit about in terms of your career you know what are you most proud of what are the things that you look back on go that was a fantastic intervention we did I did something that made a huge difference organizationally Oh gosh! I mean, I think that in in terms of the sort of in in terms of the feel good stuff, there's been you know one of the things that you it just falls into the sort of the HR territory is CSR stuff, and some of the stuff that I've been fortunate to be involved in on CSR side has just been sort of amazing. So a couple of things um, in the um, yeah when I was at when I was at Manpower we were sort of doing work with the UN's High Commission for Refugees. And I got myself into sort of into a project, helping them sort of, you know, run some training programs for sort of refugees. And I, I traveled and helped and this, that and the other. And, you know, you really sort of had a sense there of, oh my God, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really sort of making a difference. But I think that, you know, there's, there's been, there's, you know, you, you, you know, 
when, when you're sitting sort of having an interview with a sort of a headhunter and stuff they're sort of they're interested in sort of you talking about how you had heroics and you worked in a business that was not making very much money and you sort of you slashed costs and you got stuff sorted out and it ended up making loads of money and this that and the other and you know you can, can you can tell all the stories there and you know that's obviously got sort of you know you know some of the, the more unpleasant side of the function because it's you know you are doing stuff that's right for a business but you're causing disruption instead of in people's lives redundancies and this that and the other which is not something that you particularly choose to get up in the morning and sort of say all oh, right how many people can i make sort of redundant today that sort of goes with the path but obviously there are some good stories in terms of you know how i've been involved in sort of helping sort of you know transform business which is which is great i think though if you look at the sort of the proudest stuff it's when you sort of take on the roles hr has the beautiful thing of being involved in sort of in learning and development and actually being able to sort of you know to really sort of you know help people sort of navigate courses in their lives helping them sort of achieve and deliver potential that they never otherwise would have thought of and you know sometimes you sort of you are responsible for a training program a leadership thing and somebody just takes something from that and that can just be a sort of a transformative moment and I remember sort of at um you know going back a few years I was uh, I was running a sort of a, a program at sort of INSEAD it's a business school just outside Paris and it was just one of those things that just went really 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 well and it had a really profound impact on the sort of on the leaders that attended the program mm -hmm. to the extent that it wasn't you know coming back from a program thinking whoa wow I'm hyped up for a week and then it all sort of it disappears but actually people took away some things that were sustainable and they could hold on to and you felt that you know you really did make a sort of a difference to how the business was performing so I think if I look back I look back and pride some of the CSR stuff that I've done and that's been just you know just a tremendous blast but I think yeah, most of all, it's where you've seen people excel. You've really seen people that have just, you know, stepped up because of your interventions. They've just done amazing jobs. And that kind of been because you did something quite smart in terms of how you reward and incentivize people, how you recognize people. I mean, the stuff that you have in your armory to really sort of transform performance is incredible. And that's the bit that sort of makes me excited. Fantastic. So I suppose the other side of that coin is with hindsight, what would you do differently? <coughs> so when you look back and go, there were things I tried, they were, they might have been courageous, they might have been brave, they might have been significant, but they didn't quite work or they didn't land. I mean, you know, I'm always interested in not so much what, but what you, the learning that you took away from it. I, I think that one of the things that HR people should be banned from <laughs> are running, are being presumptuous that they can run massive cultural change programs especially when it involves a bunch of sort of a very expensive management consultants because you end up sort of producing spending lots and lots of money running all sorts of expensive workshops having wonderful posters and wonderful collateral that sort of sits around the place and that ends up pretty much being the sort of the sum total of sort of, of what you've achieved you know i think that you know i and i you know naively sort of you know walked into bumped into some of those things i've been involved in successful change but that hasn't involved sort of you know um expensive poster campaigns and sort of it, it, it's about substantially as i said before understanding what business is about and helping business leaders transform their business and you know if you're under the naive assumption that a new sort of you know performance management system is going to sort of drive sort of long-term business transformation just sort of just think again and i think that um 
it's possible in HR for you to sit in a bubble and sort of imagine that you are sort of, you know, able to change the world and this, that and the other. But the reality is, that, you know, you're in a bubble and you should probably go and see sort of, you know, um, a doctor who's got sort of a qualification in sort of psychiatry before you can imagine you can wave magic wands and sort of and change the world. Yeah, I mean, I think cultural change stuff is, is about how work gets done. You know, I think it's granular, it's real, it's not the, you know, the brand and all the nice, sexy stuff that I think, you know, consultants often sell it yeah. as it's, it's just what, what jobs are people doing? How do they work together? How do we make that more efficient and more effective? And 100%. I think one of the, I saw a great presentation recently from an HR director and I, and it stayed with me. And you know, if something stays with you for six months, there's something in it. And it was about habits just yep. about how people behave in work on a regular basis. And if you want to, and they use the, you know, analogies like smoking. If you want to break someone's habit, you have to repeat doing things in a different way consistently. So it's sort of about unpicking organizations and then getting them to do things differently, which actually creates a different environment and a yep. different culture. So yep. I'm, sort of, I'm sort of with you on that. Let's get a little bit more topical. Tell me about how, um, you know, talk to cope with COVID and this pandemic that we're all dealing with at the moment. I mean, as you said right at the beginning, I suspect you've been pretty busy. I mean, you know, mobile phones and data has been critical in this period of time. So I suspect you've been at the forefront of making sure that this stuff yeah. keeps getting delivered. I, mean, I think <coughs> we, we, I mean, you know, certainly, I'm, you know, I think in my sort of in my in my in my spare time, I sort of probably watch far too much news and read too many sort of too many sort of newspapers, and I, it was quite interesting. I was you know right back in sort of January, I was sort of driving our sort of chief exec mad. I said, "You've got to see this thing. It's coming. It's going to hit." And this, and she said, "You you know just really you think?" I said, "Yeah, I do." And I was able just to start then just thinking about, oh my God, what could happen? And, but it didn't really matter sort of, you know, what, what you were thinking about, this, that and the other. You had sort of, you know, Boris appearing and saying, right, that's it. You know, we're in lockdown, you know, time to sort of, you know, time to sort of to, to go home. And like people in sort of in many, many, many organizations, you know, it was like, right, okay, what does, what does that mean for us? And, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was just extreme. It was like an extreme sport that, you know, we had all sorts of jobs, which we'd said for ages, well, they can't be done remotely. You know, how's that going to happen? Yeah, but it was amazing. Within about two days, we had the sort of, you know, the whole organization working remotely. We were, you know, fortunate we have a sort of, you know, good technology infrastructure. So actually we had everybody up and working sort of remotely, which was great. Um, it was part of the sort of the country's sort of critical national infrastructure. It was also good. We could sort of keep the office open. So if people needed to come to the office, they could sort of, they could do so. <clears throat> and then, you know, our, our challenge was that, you know, we had um, a couple of our um, customer contact centers were sort of, you know, one, one was in um, Manila and the other one was in Durban. And you never, in your sort of wildest dreams, whatever scenarios you'd sort of run on sort of disaster recovery, you never imagined that those two countries would go into lockdown at the same time. So very quickly we're into this. And then, you know, our, our contact centers were sort of with 3,000 people sort of, you know, shut down and said, oh my God, what do you do now? And, you know, we spent lots of time in the early days just repurposing people from sort of all sorts of, you know, roles in the organization and gave them sort of training and customer service to get us through sort of, you know, that, so that particular time. So it was real, real sort of, it was quite, it was quite exciting. Um, it was real sort of edge of your seat stuff. And, you know, my colleagues rose to the occasion and did some brilliant stuff. And then we get to this, you know, the period of, you know, of um, stabilizing and working through it. We, um, 
you know, I led a sort of a, a, a daily sort of, you know, crisis team sort of to figure out what we were going to do in terms of the lockdown and start to think about coming out of the lockdown and this, that and the other. And that's something that, you know, we continue to sort of continue to do now. And, you know, we've just moved into sort of a trial phase. We've, you know, said to people that if any volunteers want to come to the office and try stuff out, then sort of they can do so. But I think that the real the real challenge for us is that, you know, what the crisis forced us to do was to do some things very, very, very differently to we've done before. So, gosh, um, you know, I think we recognize that the sort of the genie is absolutely out of the bottle in terms of sort of a remote working. You know, we were already sort of quite a flexible organization, but it's very difficult to see now how you end up with sort of people spending sort of, you know, four or five days a week in the sort of in the office going forwards we expect it will sort of you know will happen on a sort of on a more flexible basis and you know we'll need to sort of to prioritize which teams come together and my anticipation is that you know for most people when they come to the office it'll be to do with some degree of sort of a collaborative work that sort of that brings people together and sort of and, you know and how that works and and, and we've got to see and then i think the other challenge is it's, it's been interesting to watch is that um there's there's no question that um, the management skills that are required in <laughs> managing a sort of remote workforce are just very 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 different to you know to, to managing one where everybody's sort of in the office together and you know that's the piece that we're trying to figure out now how do we sort of you know how do we equip and train our managers for something that's just going to be different I think most other things in the world will sort of will return and people say it will never be the same again. I think it will be the same again with, with human beings. But I think having sort of, you know, switched the technology on and let that work properly, I think that, you know, the long-term trend that we'll see is one of people working remotely. And I think it will have some implications, the organization in terms of structures and, you know, how, you know, spans of control and management and this, that and the other. And we'll digest those as we go forwards. I'm interested in that because I think you're right. I mean, a lot of the, the remote working <coughs> things, I mean, I suppose creative solutions, organisations have learned and deployed things and adapted incredibly quickly to a new environment. I mean, there's a there's some learning in that in itself. But I think the ring of, about organisational structures and leadership and management is is quite critical. I, th I, I mean, I've been working with quite a few organisations and I think there is a, you know, there have been leaders and managers that have just been phenomenal, have been able to step into where engage inspire motivate you know communicate and, and do all the stuff that we would want and there's others that have struggled and i think clearly i think that what we now need to perhaps do as a you know an hr profession is just to think about how do we really get those frontline managers that perhaps we just sort of we accommodated they were okay they did a decent job but now potentially in this world are going to most probably need greater development i mean it's quite interesting so you know we've 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 really sort of you know when we talked about sort of leadership we've sort of you know we've tended to sort of elevate and promote people in our organisations that can be you know that can be inspirational. The only problem is when you're sort of doing this stuff down like you know you can have a room of five hundred people on a Zoom call, but inspiration telling jokes to a you know group of people on mute it just doesn't quite work properly. I, I think you know the, the the thing that's really, 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 really important if we learn nothing else is that you have to move to a model where you're very clear about what's expected from people, and you're very, very, very capable of sort of of holding people accountable for their outputs. 
And I think the challenge for sort of for line managers yeah. as, we, as we move forward is that, yes, it's really important in particularly in this crisis time that people dial up their sort of their empathy and we sort of, you know, we give people time and we let that happen. That's really important on an ongoing basis. More and more and more, we're just going to have to sort of to just get better outputs because the reality is as people work flexibly, there are different distractions. So if you're in the office, you know, you go and have a coffee with somebody, mm -hmm. you sort of have a chat by the water cooler, you know, at home. You know, there can be sort of a partner at home. Amazon can ring, you know, whatever. The repair guy can come. There's, there's just different distractions. And I think that I don't think yeah. one's good or one's bad. Outputs are critical. And so I think that for the HR function, really examining how you go about performance management, how you go about setting sort of targets and how you hold people accountable for achieving them are fine. And I think that that's going to require shorter timescales. So I don't think that, you know, this notion of saying, right, OK, this is what I expect from you in the next sort of next 12 months is going to sort of is going to work in this new world. I think this new world is talking about, you know, it's it's 90 days. It's, you know, what can I expect you to achieve and deliver in this time frame? And then fine, we'll figure out what the next time frame is, et cetera, et cetera. That brings to the end the first part of our podcast with uh, Daniel Kazmir, the uh, Chief People Officer of Talk Talk. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with the second half where we'll look at the HR profession. Uh, we'll talk also a bit more about Daniel the man and what he does outside of work. So back in a couple of minutes. As the world comes to terms with the COVID-19 crisis, Circal want to help HR leaders look to the future. Will the crisis shift the world of work for good? What will this look like? And how should HR leaders help prepare their business? These are the questions that Kevin Green and the resident Circal experts will consider as part of the Shifting World of Work content series. Visit circal.co.uk to find out how you can get free access to Circal's up-to-the-minute news, research and opinion for you and your team today. Welcome back to the second part of our HR Futures podcast. With me is Daniel Kasmi. He's the Chief People and Procurement Officer of TalkTalk. Talk. And just before the break, we were talking a bit about COVID-19. And I'll talk about the HR profession and how, what it needs to do to respond to the pandemic in a moment. But one of the things I'm really interested in, Daniel, is, you know, just, you know, how do you make decisions about what HR focuses on? You know, again, we've talked a bit about playbooks and we've talked about strategy and, and it context specific. So how do you go about deciding what to focus on? You know, I'm a great believer in doing a few things incredibly well rather than trying to do 20 things and do them in a sort of mediocre fashion. But tell us about how you decide when, you know, perhaps when you came to talk talk, you've been there 18 months, you started to review what they currently did in relation to, to people and deciding what you thought was important for them to go to carry on and perhaps what you wanted to jettison. Yeah, um, I think the, thing, the thing that I was blessed with is that I sort of inherited a really good team. So that's always, so that's always helpful. And I, I think I would sort of, you know, I would say to anybody who sort of, you know, inherits or takes over any, any particular, you just you go look at your team and you just got to make sure there's a group of people you can look in the face, say, yeah, they can do it for me. So make sure you've got a sort of a good group of people. Then I think in terms of setting the agenda, you know, the agenda needs to be set very much in conjunction with, sort of with what, are the, what are the business imperatives? And, you know, understand, spend time in your induction, 
understanding sort of, you know, what's driving the business, what's driving growth margin, where's the costs coming from, what are the sort of, you know, what are the sort of the, um, what's the salary bill versus the cost of sales, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Really sort of, you know, get through and understand that. And once you've understood that, then, you know, then it's time to sort of shape the sort of the HR agenda. Um, and as I've said sort of previously, just be very careful that you don't sort of just jump in and start to reinvent stuff. But, you know, there's stuff that may be working really well. Don't reinvent it if it's not broken. Just sort of just leave it alone. I really think about, okay, how can I sort of use the function to sort of to drive value? And I think that you're doing two things when you sort of talk about value for a sort of for an HR function. The first is, yep, you've got to be sort of really good in terms of sort of the driving sort of, you know, sensible cost base. So is the organization structure right? Are the people performing and the people delivering? Are they sort of, you know, they're really making it happen for you? And, you know, and then, you know, tailor the structure, tailor your strategies to make sure that that's happening. That's mm -hmm. very important. I think that the other side of it is that you have the responsibility of being the sort of, you know, the humane part of the organization you are the part of the organization that is there to show empathy to let people let leaders let people just have a sort of you know a place for venting a place for sort of for just and downloading and make sure you sort of make sure you're doing that and you know what one of the things that i find really quite cool is um where you can sort of you know get those two to sort of to marry up and people are, tend to be quite competitive and the organization that I've been in is usually quite competitive. So I, I've found the last couple of years using sort of employee net promoter score is a really good way of actually combining the sort of the business imperatives with that sort of that sense of empathy. And there's nothing quite so granular as, you know, getting organization, getting people across your organization once every once a month, once every couple of months to just, you know, fill in a survey with sort of 30 questions and let people say, how am I feeling? What's going on? Where are the imperatives? And then, you know, share that with your 50 top leaders and they become rankings and you can see where people's happiness is and where people's sadness is and this, that and the other. And I'm absolutely convinced and will remain convinced that there, you know, for most organizations, there is an absolute correlation between business success and the feeling of sort of happiness and contentment with the employee body. And I think that, you know, for me, using sort of ENPS to help sort of shape the agenda that's you know really sort of you know I, I found that to be a really important benefit the last couple of years really 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 helpful. I'm really interested in this uh, Daniel and I suspect many of the listeners will be. Tell us a little bit about, more about how you go about doing your employee net promoter score and two yeah. things I suppose one is you sounds like you do it very regularly and secondly you do it at a granular level so you can get data based on unit or division or, or however yeah. you're structured. So I think, you know, listen, you go back sort of 15 years or something, everybody was getting sort of very excited about sort of employee engagement. And, you know, so what happened was that sort of the big consulting firms jumped in and said, right, okay, this is great line of business here. We'll sort of do your employee surveys, you know, yawn. So what happens is that, you know, once a year, the sort of the employee yeah. survey gets done, gets rolled out, big fanfare, this, that and the other. You know, the data is usually sort of, you know, 18 months out of date because of sort of lead times and this, that and the other. And, you know, and then it goes into this big, thick pile of, well, this is what we've observed about the organization. And, you know, and then it's usually, typically it's been filled with sort of empty promises in terms of what will happen and this, that and the other. Thank goodness that world is disappeared. And if anybody hasn't made it disappear, I would encourage them to 
listen to what I'm saying in the next 60 seconds and think again. Fortunately, technology has come along and has been an amazing enabler. And, you know, we're working with a, an organization called PCOM, but there are others as well, which are effectively sort of, you know, online um, assessment companies, which let you sort of, you know, send out sort of assessments to sort of, you know, across your organization. We sort of, we use 20 to 20, 30 questions. We um, measure people on a sort of, you know, on a, on a, we do it every couple of months, but throughout the COVID thing, we've actually been doing it monthly. And we're interested in sort of in employee net promoter score. And it gives us a sort of a real sense of, you know, how are people sort of feeling in the organization? And, you know, when, when you know, when, when I got here, we were sort of, we, we were actually really quite low. We'd sort of announced closure of an office in London, moving stuff to Salford. We were in sort of minus territory. It was, it was not good. We're now sort of, you know, we've now moved it very positively. We're, we're sort of, you know, we're, we're up there. We're sort of, you know, some of the sort of, some of the world's big brands. And we're very proud of that. But what, what this lets you do is, you know, with you're able to sort of dissect what's happening by directorate what's happening at a manager level and when now you can open this up and you can actually let people start to share comments and stuff in terms of how they're feeling what's going on etc etc and you just got nowhere to hide and because you're doing with such frequency you have to sort of build momentum you can see things moving over time Mm -hmm. And I just think it's beautiful. I just think it's fantastic. And, you know, I think, as I say, my big learning from the last couple of years is just, I, I think that is, if you harness it, it's a really big game changer for your organization. Yeah. And because it's, um, because it's quantitative, you sort of, you're able to sort of, to meet together the sort of the quantitative and the qualitative elements mm. and actually have some really rich discussion amongst your leadership population about what's going on. So, you know, people... I think that's absolutely right, Daniel. One of the things I've seen when organisations start to do this sort of stuff where they measure it, you know, regularly every couple of months, they get underneath it, they produce sort of league tables. It's about the learning. It's about, well, why why are the people over there really buzzing and happy? And why is that not quite the same over here? And what are we doing? What, you know, and you get into those rich conversations of, is it about management behaviour? Is it about office environment? Have they got the wrong tech? What is it? You know, you get into the whole employee experience, don't you? Well, you get you just get some stark differences. I mean, you know, we had situation we had some some managers who were scoring sort of you know minus a hundred. We had others that were sort of you know plus a hundred, and you start to sort of look in, don't you? And you start to sort of understand. And it's just the most brilliant platform for educating because it's just real time data, and you know people have got their scores and they can have a look. And and then from the employee perspective, you know people feel that they're being listened to, and you know it's granular. We playback sort of you know with our employees we do a video once a month we sort of share what's been found what we've listened to and what we're going to work on and you know going back to where you asked before you know how do you set the agenda well one way you set the agenda is by listening to people cool love it so let's talk about the hr profession in it it's you know it's totality so you know what's your take on where the hr profession is i mean i don't know about age profiles but looking at your cv i think we're of a similar age so we've most probably been doing this stuff for quite a while um and i've sort of always been quite a harsh critic but i've seen progress i've seen huge progress in the last 10 15 years the last decade but i still think there's a way to go and i'd be really interested in your take on on where the hr profession is currently and what we need to focus on you know how do we find the brightest and the best to come into HR? How do we think about careers within HR? How do we move people in and out of different line roles so that they're not just HR professionals throughout their whole working life? But just give me your take on 
where we you think we are you know if you were scoring us out of 10 what would we be and what would be the big things that we need to focus on as a as a as a profession Yeah, I, I mean, I think as, as 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 an overall, I think it still sort of you know struggles to get beyond a sort of you know six or a seven in terms of sort of of really sort of being at the table for sort of for driving, you know, for for driving success. And I think some of that actually sort of is driven by the sort of the function itself. And I don't know, it, it, it's interesting. I think that there's a tendency for sort of for H, I, I I love working in HR. Uh, you know, I'm proud that I've got a seat at the table. And I think that, you know, the role that I play is as important as any of my colleagues around the leadership table. I'm, you know, the professional that sort of that understands people and what you need to do with people to get the most out of them in terms of their performance. And that really is the key of any organization's success. So I'm proud. I don't feel I have to make a justification to be at the table. I'm there. And I wish that sort of that more and more and more HR people would sort of would follow suit and be totally proud of the profession that they've sort of they've jumped into and they're sort of they're working in because I think it's a fantastic and just very, very, very applaudable, exciting mm. place to work. So no need for any apologies whatsoever. And I think that it is tainted by people who come in and, you know, their aspiration is to sort of is to do no, nothing more than be a sort of a bunch of administrators. And then, you know, it becomes a sort of the HR sort of police force that's going around, not helping sort of the business move forwards, but just sort of shouting out, well, this has gone wrong, that's gone wrong, this, that and the other. And I think that the role of the function is to really help business move forwards through people, through positive interactions, then trying to sort of to, um, you know, a sole job in life is to sort of is to sort of is to apply the rule book. Yeah. And what do you think we need to do to make that transition, you know, move the function more away from policing and policies into, you know, value adding, focusing on what the businesses need? You know, what do you think? Is, there, is it we need to attract different people? Do we I think that we need to, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm long been sort of, you know, a bit dismissive of CIPD and sort of and historically and I think you know to be fair it's improved a little bit over time but I think it's still got sort of you know way to go I think what's been missing significantly from the um yeah I think from the sort of the curriculum for sort of for HR people the expectation is commercialism so you know don't be frightened of sort of, of understanding business, understanding the sort of the levers, the drivers of what shapes business. And if you can do that and you can be confident, then you can be really effective sort of, you know, HR leader. If that's not in your thing, but you like, you know, you might, you just, you might be better going working in a sort of in, in, you know, a less commercial sort of, you know, type career that which is interesting people. So I think that, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, well, why do you want to, to work in HR? I want to work in HR because I enjoy working with people and sort of and this, that and the other. I, I mean, I, I sort of think, well, you know, maybe it'd be better sort of, you know, being in a caring profession, social work or something might be better. This is a function that's about driving performance in business. And business is about commercial decisions, it's about understanding numbers, and it's helping sort of achieve that through sort of, you know, really good execution of organization, really good inspiration, driving of people. And that's what you're here to do. So when I sort of start hearing, sort of when I joined HR, so I once worked with people and this, that and the other, and I think you might have the wrong profession. No, I, I totally agree. So let's just sort of, so let's turn that into a proactive young person, perhaps done a graduate program, a bit like you when you was at Shell, perhaps listen to a bit about 
the sort of people and organisation never really thought about it, then thinking about whether they should go into HR. They come and ask for some advice. What do you say to them? Um, I say to them that you've got the opportunity to make as significant an impact to your business, to a business, as anybody else within that, so with any any other function in that business, your business is a business of people. It helps if you sort of if you like people and you've got empathy and you enjoy dealing with people because the difference between people and sort of in widgets that people have got a brain and a mouth and they're contained with lots of emotion. So make sure you sort of you enjoy that because if you don't enjoy that, then this is not the profession for you. So there is of course a big people quotient, but be absolutely ready to mix that people quotient with that commercial quotient and then you can have a lot of fun but you know if you just come in as a sort of as a commercial animal that detests people that's not a great place to be and if all you want to do is you don't like numbers and you just it, you're also sort of going to sort of shoot yourself in the foot so as we're sort of beginning to think about wrapping up uh, daniel tell me a bit about one of the things i looked at your cv is that you've done quite a few interim roles um yeah. during your career because again i think you know no one ever talks about that really you know at some point you get to a, do a senior role and then they just assume you're going to go off and do another senior hr role um but you've sort of done a few of those during your career tell us about you know the the upside and the downsides of those yeah I mean, so i mean so, so i mean so, so i think first, first thing i would say again probably sort of answer the previous question i think the other wonderful thing about hr is it's a very 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 transportable career so you can move it, it doesn't you know the the issues that you'll deal with whether you're working in the sort of the nuclear industry or the sort of the food industry or the farmer industry you know different business circumstances but the fundamental challenges of driving excellence in people are similar so it's transportable so i've been able to move around between different businesses doing different things that's great after I'd sort of, you know, I was about, I don't know, mid 40s or something. Yeah. And I just thought, crikey, I've seen the sort of the thing go round and round and round. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to step out and do something sort of a bit different. So I, uh, I got together with a friend of mine and we set up a sort of a consulting business. And it was just again very very different it was it was all the stuff that sort of people said about consultancy that you know we 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 did okay we sort of you know we generated some good clients and you know the, the sort of the, the the money was sort of was good i think the thing that i found was just difficult was that i you know i delivered all these sort of these solutions then i had to walk away and let somebody else implement yeah. them and i just god i just i didn't enjoy that so i found myself sort of then migrating towards um interim stuff so i'd, I'd done um, worked in sort of in private equity um, back companies and I, you know got a couple of calls from private equity firms and I got to go and work in some of their portfolio companies and that was just that was just real cool because it was just you going into a business it was a sort of a finite period of time but you weren't in a consulting thing you were actually part of in my case a sort of a leadership team mm -hmm. so you were there to do a sort of you know a real substantive job and you know private equity was right okay we're here this is the plan and you know you just worked it and it was great it was you know it was crazy hours working with some really good people it was you know commercialism rampantly i mean that's you know that's what that's that whole thing is about yeah. and i really sort of you know and I, and I quite enjoyed this and actually when i sort of when i joined talk talk i sort of i joined here on an interim basis to help sort of you know do some transitioning and they sort of turned around and said um, would you like to sort of stick around so having sort of you never say it never about sort of being in a sort of perm role and this that and the other i think it just you know your career's a journey you never know quite how it's going to sort of unfold and, and never say never 
And you know, well, I why think. Why did you say yes? What, so why, why did you say yes? Just a great I, opportunity. I, I, I said yes. It was just a great opportunity. It was a business that it is a business that's um, going through sort of you know through sort of you know lots of change. It's it's an exciting industry, and you know I like the people. And I thought actually I, you know, I'm quite happy to sort of you know come and spend a while sort of you know working with these people, and it's great and it's fantastic. And you know, I, I get up in the morning and I've actually got sort of a real buzz that you know coming to work and doing something that I you know most of the time. I really, really, really enjoy. And I think that's just, you know, that, that's just so, so, so important for anybody. Okay, sounds great. Sounds like a great opportunity. So tell us as we sort of finish up then, tell us a bit about the, what you do outside of work. You know, what are your other passions? What is it? Is it music or literature or sport or, you know, I, I, that's what I'm always interested in is, you know, people yeah. are fully rounded. And one of the things you do when you're talking to these, you know, talking to people podcasts and webinars is you're talking about, their job and what they do in their, you know, for a lot of their time. But when I ask this question, I'm always astounded that um, people have got such strange and wonderful insights and hobbies and different things that they're passionate about. So tell us about yours, whatever that may be. Um, well, family's family's important to me. I've got sort of, you know, I've got five kids, which um, is, oh. you know, quite sort of, you know, it's quite sort of quite time consuming. So um yeah spending ages, time ages daniel ages five. Oh god from sort of you know i don't i know i don't look old enough from sort of from 25 down to 12 so yeah so two boys and three girls so that keeps me sort of busy um got a couple of dogs which require sort of walking on a sort of on a daily basis which is fine i'm a bit of an exercise junkie so i sort of you know i run and i swim and um cycle and do all of that sort of stuff and then, you know, I think the thing that sort of has really just killed me in this sort of this lockdown is I love movies, go to the cinema an awful lot with my wife. And I really sort of really miss that. That's my time for just zoning out and switching off and there's just no phones, no nothing. Um, and I also quite like travel as well, which the kibosh has sort of has been put on as well. So we'll have to sort of say, I've, you know, and what else? I, I, I read quite a lot. I'm passionate about sort of current affairs. I sort of, you know, I like to sort of know what's going on in the world and sort of and jump in and sort of and participate as sort of as necessary. And yeah, yeah tell, uh, us, just, you tell know. us about, so I don't know, tell us a bit about what, so what's your favourite film or what sort of genre of films is it that you, you particularly like or? Oh, I, I I can't even lie and pretend that I'm in any way sophisticated. Just trash, trash. Whether they're adventure films or comedies or romance, just stuff that I can just sit and just you know leave yeah. feeling sort of you know good and excited. You know, I, I, yeah, I, sort of dark films and not really sort of not <clears throat> no, not 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 especially my thing. So in terms of sort of current affairs and books, uh, anything you'd recommend, anything you've read in the last sort of six months that you think is worth recommending to others? I read a really good one recently, but I've forgotten the blooming name of it. I will have to sort of, I will have to let you know. No, I'm reading sort of, you know, sort of start books and I sort of lose them and I start other books. So I'm reading some yeah, yeah. thrillers, some different thrillers and stuff at the moment, which are sort of, which are quite good. But there was a, there was a really, I can't remember, there was, there's a really good sort of, HRE related one. I can't. I, just, I can't remember its name, but it was. It was. It was quite good. It was to do with different personalities at work, and um, oh, okay. it was quite. It was actually quite interesting. It's in my locker over there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I won't. I won't go and I won't go and grab it. I just, just, get, just copiously sort of, you know, just, just read all, all, yeah. all, all, all sorts of stuff. I always start. Someone says to me, you know, get great advice for people in HR. Do you know, what I always say, read the FT every day. Yeah, Stop well, that's, that's, that's what I do. Uh, the FT, the FT, and the Times arrive every morning, and before yeah. I do anything else, I sit down with us a cup of tea instead of and I have a flick through and see what's going on. I yeah. agree with you. Yeah, the level of journalism's 
pretty, you know, spot on actually. Yeah, no, I completely involved. agree. Completely, completely, completely agree. And yeah, okay. no, just yeah, just yeah, keep my there never seems to be enough hours in the day. No, absolutely. Life life is short. You've got to get as much out of it as you possibly can. And that's partly about work. I did recently. I did recently. I, I like to try new things. Cool. So I did recently sort of embark on a sort of I was um I go swimming and before you know, about a year ago, I was swimming in the sort of Manchester Aquatic Centre and um I saw um I saw these big tall diving boards and I thought right I'm going to have a go at that so on, as I was leaving I said to the sort of said to the people I said you, you do sort of you know the, the big high board the sort of the Tom Daly yeah, stuff yeah. so I thought okay I, so I said you do sort of do you do sort of class this actually yeah we sort of you know we run we run a sort of a course on a sort of on a Sunday so I sort of so I signed up and of course it's in sort of it's university land I'm the, sort of the oldest one there by several years jeepers creepers that was amazing that was brilliant and i actually managed to get off the sort of the top board so yeah no I, I'll, I'll sort of you know i'm i'm always looking for sort of new things to try out and stuff and it was brilliant overcoming the fear because i've stood at the top of some of them diving boards and they're a long way up aren't they yeah i think it was just a sense of you know because you just you, I, I would love to be able to play a musical instrument and I've tried and tried and tried, but my brain and the sort of just doesn't just not, not going to happen. Gave up. I think, I think it's just sort of thing, you know, crikey, you know, you see these guys doing this stuff on sort of on TV and this, that, and, that, and just like, Ugh. and it's just, and you realize just how good they are. I mean, I've run a couple of marathons and you see these guys and they run the stuff in sort of, you know, just such amazing times and this, that, and the other. And then you go and do these things yourself and you're thinking, oh my god when i go on the treadmill and i am running flat out that's what these guys do for two hours it's like jeepers creepers and it just gives you a sense of you know i like to be excellent in what i do professionally and when you get to do those things that they do and just like yeah I'm joking i like cycling for that reason as well you cycle and you just then look at what the professionals do and you say oh my god that's the sort of that's the gap and i just know it's just it's just it's just fun thanks for sharing your views about hr telling us a bit about your career and also telling us a bit about what you do outside of work it's been a been a pleasure daniel i enjoyed talking to you i think there's loads of insights and snippets that people will take away from this podcast um uh, have a great day thank you very very much thank you for your time